okay? This morning, I want to bring to you this message that I have entitled, Forgiveness is Something that We Must Choose. Forgiveness is something that we must choose. I want to start off, I read this story that Corey Ten Boone wrote in one of her books. It's a story about granting forgiveness even when we don't feel forgiving. She says it was two years after World War II ended. She met a Nazi soldier who had worked in the Ravenbrook concentration camp where her sister died. The soldier approached Corey and told her of his conversion to Christianity. He asked if she would forgive him. So he extended his hand to shake hers. She prayed in that moment that God would help her respond with kindness. At that moment, she remembered Jesus' word from Matthew 16, 15. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your, your trespasses. She was reminded that forgiveness is an act of the will. We must choose. We must choose to forgive. We also must choose to allow God to forgive us. And it must be done regularly for the, for the temperature of the heart, or regardless of the temperature of the heart. She extended her hand and she replied, I do forgive you with all of my heart. Wow. Forgiveness is something that we must choose, even when we don't feel like it. Forgiveness is something that we must choose to receive, even though we don't feel worthy. There's been many times when we, or I, knew I had to forgive my brother or sister in Christ while still carrying the hurt that resonated or that was still remaining within my heart. Even after I had verbally offered forgiveness. There had been times and have been times in my life that I had to continue to ask God to heal the lingering anger that was left behind. Forgiveness is a choice. Today we look at Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 35. And here we're going to learn what Jesus is telling us about forgiveness. So as you're turning to Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35, I'm going to turn to Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to read this and I'm going to try to set us up for this this morning. 
In in Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 17, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So here we have Jesus has started off on this last journey that he has to Jerusalem. And I want you to see that the Gospel of Mark only gives us two particular stories in this process. One of them is right here at the beginning with the businessman, the rich young ruler, or just simply the rich man, whichever one your translation calls him or relates to or you know, gives us the information as far as who he is, whichever one that it would be. Here at the beginning, and right there at the end, whenever Jesus enters into Jerusalem, we will see that Jesus encounters a blind man. And Jesus offers both of these men exactly the same thing. One gets it, and the other one doesn't. One understands what Jesus is offering, and one doesn't understand what Jesus is offering, and walks away disheartened. So as we look at this and we continue on in verse 18, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But then in verse 19, he says, But to answer your question, I like this translation because we now get to see that Jesus is going to answer his question. And his question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this is Jesus' answer to his question. He says, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. And I can imagine that Jesus possibly went through all of the other commandments that was listed. But whenever he got to the here, we see and we get this understanding that the gentleman understood where Jesus was going with this. And then he replies in this manner in verse 20. It says, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commands since I was young. That's a bold statement. I have upheld these commands since I was young. Verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you have have not done. There's still one thing you haven't done. But let's look back at this. Because whenever we see this, we we need to get this understanding that this young gentleman would have been a Jewish, or would have been Jew, a Jew would have been Jewish, and he would have known the law, the law of Moses, And not only the Ten Commandments or the Ten Laws, but he would have known all of the rest of the laws that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had made. made. And he makes this statement, he says, I have followed these 
all the way since I have been young or since my youth. I find it interesting, and hopefully you find it interesting. He's kept the commandments. He's kept the law that Moses had given to the Israelites as far as what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to live their lives. But there was still something missing. Last week, I talked about the moral law. And I talked about the fact that the moral law that we are born with, the right and wrong that's in our lives that we know, we have begun and through the history and through the time of the world, we have begun to try our best to erase that line to where it's gotten grayer and grayer and grayer. So that we really don't know what's right and what's wrong. That's wrong. Just as this rich young man, he followed all of the rules. He followed them all, but he knew that there was still something missing. I want you to see this because in his mind, he was sinless. Because he had obeyed all of the commands. There are times that we sin, and we know we sin, but we justify it because we needed it. Or, we justify it because Scripture doesn't really tell me not to do that. Now, I'm going to go to something that's really, it's really kind of a stickler. Sticklers, it's a difficult thing for us to handle. And that's going to be alcohol. Now I got your attention, right? Man, I saw those eyes look up. Alcohol. Because Scripture does not tell us not to drink alcohol. I even got more eyes there. But what Scripture does tell us to do is that we shouldn't be drunk. Scripture also tells us that we should not be underneath the influence of anything except for the Holy Spirit. So whenever we get into alcohol, we can now say that you shouldn't drink alcohol because whenever you do, it begins to affect Your thought process, so something other than the Holy Spirit is in charge of your thought process. Same thing with drugs. But what do we do? We hear it all the time. Jesus turned water into wine. Why can't I drink it? Jesus drank wine. The disciples drank wine. We justify. Why we do things. Uh, In our Thursday evening Bible study on He Loves Me, I took them to this idea as far as idolatry or having an adulterous affair. And I told them, I made this comment. I said, if a man 
has a conversation with another woman that is supplying or providing a need that she has, he is committing adultery. I I feel like I might need to explain that a little bit more. If you go out and you get the book, His Needs, Her Needs, it talks about the top ten needs that each one of us have. As far as a male and a female, or couples as a husband and a wife, a wife has ten emotional needs That her husband says, I will fulfill whenever he says, I do. And the wife, in return, says to the husband, your ten emotional needs that you have, I will provide those ten emotional needs. Women, your number one or number two emotional need that you have is conversation. You need someone to talk to and someone to listen to you. Therefore, if a man is sitting down with a woman that is not his wife and he fulfills that need for her, he is committing adultery. Committing adultery is not just sex. It's providing a need for another man's wife Or a woman that's not your wife. But we can skirt around that because it talks about not not having an adulterous affair. And then we look into the adulterous woman that was caught in the act. That was thrown at Jesus' feet. And we're like, oh, I haven't had sex with her yet. You have committed adultery. We can work our way around it. Come on, guys. We're smart human beings. We're deceitful human beings. Our heart is nothing but deceitful. We will do everything that we can to get our way. Even trying to convince ourselves that what we just did that was wrong wasn't wrong. I'm not going to ask how many of you have ever lied because I know that we all have. But how many of you have lied and then convinced yourself that it was okay to lie because you didn't want to hurt somebody or you didn't want to get hurt? And if you said it long enough, you convinced yourself that what you did was right. I I think I'm missing you. I'm losing this. So let's go back to what this man says. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says you must follow these commands. He says, I have done all of those. If you've done all of those, then why do you need to do something else to to inherit eternal life? You know in your heart 
that you've done something wrong. Paul tells us every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person that has ever been born on this earth or ever will be born on this earth has fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. I don't care how good you have convinced yourself that you are. You would have to ask the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? So now that we have set that up, now that I've got you set up for this, and we all understand that we all have to ask for forgiveness. We all have to choose to ask God to forgive us of our sins. We all have to choose to allow God to forgive us of our sins. Regardless if we feel worthy of it or not, we have to ask for forgiveness of our sins. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who has sinned against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. I want y'all to picture this. Peter thinks he's being ambunctious or, or uh, you know, he's being overzealous whenever he makes this statement as far as forgiving seven times. In those days, they felt that you had to forgive someone for the same sin three times. And then on the fourth time, they were able to receive your wrath. Peter says, I'm going to be even better than those, and I'm going to give them seven times. Jesus says, no. Even though you think you're doing good, you're supposed to give them 77 times or 70 times seven, whichever translation you have, it gives us this perfect number of, of infinity, that we are, supposed to refer, we are supposed to forgive our fellow Christians or we are supposed to even forgive our non-fellow Christians countless times. Amos chapter 1 verse 3 verse 6 and verse 9, give us this minus one word. I'm going to read this for you from the NASB translation. It says, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for the fourth, I will not revoke its punishment. 
So Damascus is the word that's removed because in each one of these passages of Scripture, it's another town or another uh, you know, nation or group of people that has sinned against the Israelites that God says that we will forgive them three times, but on the fourth time, their punishment won't be removed from them. So there again, this gives us indication and gives us evidence of God's mercy that is now poured out upon us because of Jesus Christ. And because of what He has done for us and and God's mercy that we have. Verse 23, it goes in and it says, Therefore, The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who has decided to bring his accounts up to his accounts up to date with servants who have borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought into brought in who owed him millions of dollars. There's three characters in this passage of Scripture. You've got the king that represents God. You've got the servant that represents every single human being that has ever lived or will ever live on this earth. That we owe a debt to God because of sin in our lives. Because the debt of sin is death. But through his son, Jesus Christ, that died on the cross, that came to this earth and lived this perfect life and died on the cross and rose from the grave three days later, because of his death and because of his defeat of death and victory, we can have eternal life through the forgiveness of our sins. The first servant. That would be kind of like you and I. Kind of imagine this. You wake up one morning. You've got this lavished house. It's got this beautiful garden in the back with this nice little uh, fountain that's back there. And you've got birds that are chirping around it. And you've got animals and stuff that's out there making their noise. And you've got a beautiful wife and you've got children the glory that's glory that's running through out the garden and all of a sudden someone or you know so these men bust into your house and they say that the king is bringing uh, you know up to date his account of you you must present yourself before the king and pay your debt i imagine his countenance would have changed The word that is actually translated as into brought means that they literally drug the man into the king's presence because he knew how tremendous his debt was. He's standing here in front of the king. And the king says, I need you to repay the millions of dollars that you have borrowed from me. 
So let's take this and let's translate this a little bit for you. Because back in those days, it would have been a bag of talents. Now, we know that a talent, okay, is a day's worth of wages. A denarii is a year's worth of wages. Whenever we are here and whenever we see this, the money and the talent that, he, that the king is requiring is approximately 10 bags of denarii. 10 bags full of a year's worth of money that would, a, would equivalent in our day and time to be in somewhere in between six and ten thousand dollars per bag that he owed. And he owed ten bags. Millions upon millions of dollars. This man had absolutely no way of being the rest of your life in prison. Not only will you spend the rest of your life in prison, but your beautiful wife, that you have bought all of these lavish clothes and all of this perfume for, she's going to spend the rest of her life in prison. And not only is she going to spend the rest of her life in prison, but your children will spend the rest of their life in prison. And not only will they spend the rest of their life in prison, but this beautiful house that you have with this nice, nice garden and fountain that's in your backyard and all of the beautiful gold dishes or silver dishes that you have or all of the nice things that you, the nice furniture that you have in your house, every bit of that will be sold to pay your debt. Now, it never says that it paid his debt in full. Because there is absolutely nothing that we can give of our own to God to pay for our debt. Absolutely nothing. I imagine you would have done exactly what this man did. Fell to his knees before the king. And begged, pleaded. But what did he beg and plead for? He asked for more time. Give me more time. I'll be able to pay you back. Give me more time. Don't we do that to God? Give me more time. I don't know how many times as a pastor I have heard these words. I'm too young. I have too many oats to sow. I'm going to go and live in the world. I've got time. Give me more time. I can't tell you how many times I've been laying or been, not laying, but been seated or standing at the side of someone in the hospital that's on their deathbed and they're praying and asking God for more time. Asking for more time. I think it's interesting that the king gave him more time. Didn't actually give him more time, did he? He gave him even more than that. He forgave his debt. Whew. 
that should excite all of us. All of our debts have been forgiven if we've asked the King, if we've asked God Almighty, if we've asked Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, our sins and our debt have been forgiven and has been paid in full. Now enters in the second servant. Let's kind of place ourselves with the second service or servant. Because as we read this passage of scripture, I kind of picture in my mind that all of the king's servant would be in a line. And they'd be funneled in one after one. But then we forget about the fact that some men had to go and drag this servant, the first servant, in to the king's presence. How many of you, knowing that you owe the king and you owe him something that you cannot give, you're going to be standing at his doorstep waiting for your turn to enter into his presence? We should chuckle in that because I know that none of you would be standing there. We find the second servant, he's most probably, possibly he's, he's left his house, his wife and his kids, in their humble existence, and he's gone to work. And while he was at work, he hears those words that says that the king is going to settle up all of his accounts. And then as the morning goes along, the next story that comes rolling out of the king's palace is the king has lost his mind because he has forgiven this man of this huge debt. And it gets to this servant and he's like, whoo, man, my day's gotten a whole lot better because I owed him a little bit of money and he's just been forgiven of a whole lot of money. Forgiveness is coming my way. Woo, I'm going to back up. I got it made now, right? Man, this is going to be a glorious day. And then all of a sudden, the man that just got forgiven this huge debt comes and grabs this second servant around the neck and begins to shake him and demand that he gives him the $1,000. Man, my good day just turned to a bad day. I just knew that because he had been forgiven such this huge debt that he was going to forgive the little debt that I owed him. Wow. I don't want you to miss this. We all owe a huge debt. We all do. I, I want us to really understand this because there's, there's all too often in our lives that we stand here and, and we refer to them and us, them as the lost people and the, the us as us privileged ones that's received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This passage of scripture, we understand that there's no them or us. They're all us. We all have a huge debt that we cannot pay. And it's all been forgiven. All of us. 
All of us. We just happen to be the ones that has chosen to ask for the forgiveness. And we have allowed God to forgive us of our sins. There is absolutely no difference in between the debt that we owe and the debt that they owe. Except for Jesus Christ has already forgiven us of that debt. But we hold it over the other ones or the them that we think are them. But they're us. They're us. They're, there's, it's, it's no them and us. It's just us. We're all together. We're all lost without Jesus Christ. Without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But do you not hear the words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15? But if you do not forgive others, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. See, that's where we are today. We all have a debt. And that debt is forgiven through Jesus Christ. I want you to see this. Every single person Jesus died for. Not just the ones that accept him. Not just the ones that ask for forgiveness. But he died for every single person. He paid the debt for every single person. All you have to do is choose that forgiveness. And allow him. Allow him to forgive you. It's not an us and a them. It's us. And then he says... That if you're like this first one that has been forgiven his debt, but you go out and you do not forgive the others, then the debt that I just forgave comes back to you. But I want you to see this. Because now he is going to prison To be tortured. Not just going to prison. Now he is going to prison to be tortured. His wife is going to prison to be tortured. His children are going to prison to be tortured. There's a difference in between just going to prison and then just going to and going to prison. To be tortured. If you are not willing. And not able. To forgive. Your fellow people. Then God is not willing. To forgive you. Wow. Does that not strike at your heart. This morning, there's no us or them. It's just us. We forgive 
those that have asked for forgiveness and received forgiveness from their sins of Jesus Christ. We forgive those that didn't because we have been forgiven much. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the words that you have given to us. God, I pray, dear Lord, that we would stand upon these words today. And God, that the words that were spoken, dear Lord, that are your words, God, that they would sit in our hearts and that we would meditate upon them. And God, that we would allow your words to transform our lives. And God, that we would live a free life, a life that has been forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let us stand as our praise and worship team is going to close us in song. Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Sing Amen.
God's face shine upon you. May the blessings from heaven pour out upon you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. If you do have money to give for that uh, family, if you could please take it to the altar.